welcome to Cover Stories with Chess Life, the U.S. Chess Federation podcast that goes behind the scenes and in-depth with each month's cover story author. I'm your host, Dan Lucas, the Senior Director of Strategic Communication at U.S. Chess, a 501c3 nonprofit with an educational mission of empowering people through chess, one move at a time. To become a member, go to uschess.org and click on the Join button. There you can find a membership option that is right for you. As a member, you enjoy rated play, print or digital copies of Chess Life or Chess Life Kids, discounted chess books and equipment, and you help U.S. chess grow the game. Now, let's start your clock and listen to this month's edition of Cover Stories with Chess Life. Welcome to the August edition of Cover Stories with Chess Life. Our guest this month is a repeat guest, Grandmaster Ian Rogers from Australia. He wrote our cover story about Fabiano Caruana winning the Norway chess event. Welcome back to the show, Ian. Thanks very much, Dan. So again, uh, you are our globe-trotting reporter covering uh, almost all of the international events. In fact, you have two stories in this issue. In addition to the cover story, you covered the the Women's World Championship. Uh, but you weren't actually on site for the Women's World Championship, were you? Oh, absolutely. I went to Shanghai to watch it. I was the in, the only non-Chinese journalist there, which was quite amazing. So you know what? I'm going to I'm going to go in reverse order then because uh, that that's interesting to me. How did it work in China? Was it did they have translators available? Uh, was that not needed? How did it work? Well, the press conferences were done entirely in Chinese, but the uh, the main um, press officer. Uh, had perfect English, and she would translate uh, things that I didn't understand um, because I could understand when they were talking about variations a lot of the time. Uh, but she she would uh, answer any questions I had at the end of the press conference, and uh, if necessary, go through a question by question. So uh, that that worked fine. And of course, the the players both spoke English; their seconds spoke English. So I had lots of people. To, to ask questions to. So I don't embarrass myself. I'm going to let you announce, uh, pronounce the, the name of the participants. Okay. Zhu Wenjun uh, defeated Tan Zongyi by a relative, well, a, the narrowest possible margin if it didn't go to tie breaks. Uh, it was a quite crazy match where after one draw, there were five decisive games in a row. And then Zhu Wenjun put up the shutters and managed to hang on for four draws. Well, in fact, sometimes it was uh, Tan Zongyi hanging on but uh, it was quite an, uh, quite a, an amazing match, to be honest. Uh, partly because uh, I was the the uh, the only portal to the world, and uh, I had all sorts of people, chess base, chess twenty four, emailing me saying, "How do we find out the game moves? How do we find out this and that?" And uh, it was it was very weird. Uh, the the organisers would have run it much much better if they'd been allowed to put their website up early, but it had to be go through a FIDO website, and they only put it up. The day of the opening ceremony, which um, didn't really allow for much pre-publicity. You you had also written that uh, former world championship uh, champion. Uh, I'm going to let you pronounce her name. Ho Yi Fan. Ho Yi Fan has decided to no longer play in women's only events. What what was her reasoning? Much like Judith Polgar's was, or what was going on with that? Well, it, that's not not quite true. I, I think she'll still be responsible playing for China at the Olympiad, for example. But she doesn't want to play the world championship cycle. Uh, she regards it as a almost a Mickey Mouse cycle where you alternate matches and knockout tournaments. And she thinks, well, if the 
the open cycle outgrew that a decade ago, surely the women's cycle uh, can have serious world championships because the, the knockouts are so random, as you see in the World Cup. Yeah, it, um, the favourite might have a 10% chance of winning the event. It, uh, it really is um, it, not a great way to select a world champion. And with, with these three women that we've just mentioned, it, it, it sounds almost like uh, China is dominating women's chess. Is, is that a fair statement? And what is going on with women in chess in China? Are, are they, is the Chinese government uh, especially supportive? Or is there some reason for this? Well, they had a huge advantage because when they entered uh, international chess in the late 70s, the women players didn't know they were supposed to be inferior to the men players. So they all came in at a relatively similar level. The men were slightly stronger, um, but uh, basically once the women were any, uh, at near the men's level, they were already world class. And so, uh, you know, within um, 15 or so years of uh, them entering international chess at all, they had a women's world champion in, in Sijun. Um, but nowadays, uh, the well, they've, they've basically had four, four goals. One, to win the uh, Open Olympiad, the Women's Olympiad, the Women's World Championship and the Open World Championship. And they've achieved three of those four goals. So I suspect the women don't get quite as much uh, attention as they used to. But certainly there were no expenses fared for this World Championship match. Uh, the two cities of the two uh, players fought over not only who should hold it, but once they decide to split the match, who should have the first half. I don't even know whether holding the first half is an advantage or not. Uh, but uh, they fought over that. They had totally different sponsors in one half and the other half. It was a little bit uh, weird in that way, but, uh, well, they, they sorted it out and uh, they, they put on a really high-quality event. It's just that uh, with no publicity, there were basically almost no journalists except locals, many, many local journalists, and almost no spectators either. So, uh, of course, with high security, with the players being cut off during the games, uh, it's uh, it's not so much fun to be a spectator, but still I had uh, live commentary and uh, it, it, w it wasn't bad to, to turn up and watch. You wrote about the security uh, measures in the Chess Life article as well. And it, it struck me that it seems like the Chinese may have been taking uh, anti-cheating measures to a higher level or more seriously than uh, Western events do. Well, they insisted on the same security measures uh, when Ho Yifan played in uh, in Lviv against uh, Maria Muzichuk a couple of years earlier. And the uh, Ukrainians, I think, took a little bit of offence at it, but it was all in the contract and they insisted on uh, delay of broadcast and that sort of thing. I think they simply re believe that in this age of miniaturisation, uh, you just need a delay in top-level tournaments, a broadcast delay, uh, because it's too easy to have something undetectable uh, receiving information. So to make it, to take that out of the equation, if someone off-site is getting the moves, they're getting it half an hour late, and uh, that makes all the difference. You can't really help someone that way. So th this is uh, – it, it's the cheats that haven't been caught, if you like, that they're worried about, the ones that really are using miniaturised uh, receivers to, uh, to just get information from someone watching in it anywhere. I mean, once it's on the net, they could be watching from another country. That leads me to uh, kind of want to combine a couple of questions into one, because in your Norway chess report, you, you wrote about what a pleasant environment 
um, Stavanger, Norway is. And am I pronouncing the the name of the city correctly? Uh, Stavanger is probably Stavanger. better. Okay, good. You know, it seems like every time I talk to you, I'm asking you to pronounce uh, city names, player names. So yeah, well, uh, ho- thank you for that actually, help. Ho Yifan is the one that uh, everyone seems to get wrong, possibly because Ho has a pretty nasty connotation in American English, but it's the correct pronunciation. So there's not much you can do about it. Oh, is that only in American English? It's not in, in the Queen's English? Not really, no. <laughs> Do you think that um, other than for a hometown or a home country for a player, does location really matter for high-level chess events? And can, can you envision a day when all events are just held online, uh, partly because of cheating measures, and it might actually kind of conversely be easier to control cheating online as opposed to uh, worrying about small devices on a site? Well, I think uh, cheating in online chess is is much easier, to be honest. Um, it's not just uh, that uh, you may have, have a computer running next to you, but you could even have a friend in the room, uh, which wouldn't really be detectable either. So uh, online relies on an honesty system. And, and uh, well, I, w- I was talking to the boss of one of the big internet playing sites, and they said, Unfortunately, 20 of their top 40 players are under suspicion for cheating. So um, they they don't have enough evidence to throw them out or anything, but they, they keep track on all their games because they regard them as rather too close to computer games. So when, when you're talking to top players, uh, just what is their thought about uh, controlling cheating? Do they think it's going to get worse before it's going to get better? Or uh, are the measures that are being put into place now going to kind of help nip it in the bud? Well, I I actually uh, haven't had too many conversations, but to be honest, the top players basically trust each other, uh, the very top players. They, they have so much pride in their game that I think it's hard for them to imagine that any of their peers would want to win other than just by beating their opponent properly. Uh, now, that may be a false assumption, but I doubt it. I, I mean, I think they're justified in that. It's uh, it's slightly lower levels. You're a talented junior who wants to get a head start. Well, a, a, actually, I think um, Anand ran into this many years ago in Olympiad. Um, there were a couple of players who'd been, one had been caught cheating, I think, banned for 10 years, but his mate uh, wasn't caught um, red-handed, and um, he made the Olympiad team uh, because his rating was so high. And after one game, uh, I believe Anand just said, okay, um, you know, this, this guy's not playing any more games, probably from post-mortem analysis or something like that, uh, just said, uh, I'm not playing on a team with this guy. He obviously doesn't deserve to be there. Um, and, and presumably that was partly because he couldn't cheat at the Olympiad in the way he had done in domestic tournaments. So, uh, yeah, it, it has occasionally overlapped with top players, but really it's it's very rare uh, that you see it in, in the highest level tournaments. So I don't think they're too worried at the top. But, of course, technology moves on and broadcasters are very, very averse to having the time delay that the Chinese had. Yeah, um, yeah If you're paying quarter of a million dollars or, or more the, if you're a Norwegian TV station covering Carlson's match, you, you don't want a half-hour delay. There's no way you uh, want to broadcast things where people are tweeting. He's already won when you're getting to the time scramble. So the broadcasters are dead set against it. And uh, as a result, because that's a lot of income for FIDE, FIDE are, are against it. So while the Anti-Cheating Commission has been recommending delays for a long time, and Dortmund's had it for, I don't know how many years, 15 years, 20 years, 
but uh, it's simply not taken off. And, and you do hear spectators whinging a bit when the, the broadcast is delayed as well. Uh, so it's a balance between the, the fear of cheating and uh, the, the want, wanting to publicise the game and uh, at the moment uh, publicising it's one. So we don't really know if there are too many cheats, but I, I'd be very, very surprised if they were at the highest level. So in the Norway event, do you know if there was a delay on, on their broadcast? There was no, no delay. There was live... Uh, saturation television coverage of it, um, yeah, the, and and it got pretty high ratings too. Uh, so uh, Norway has has a something called slow TV, uh, where they follow trains on their their trip or watch a log fire or this sort of thing for hours. And um, watching chess for hours is uh, even more action than that. So they're really happy. Well, and you, you wrote about the, the TV coverage and uh, Magnus stirring the pot a little bit in a, another form of cheating, at least a, a grayer area um, with uh, a prearranged draws. Uh, talk to us a little bit about what that was all about. Okay. Well, um, because uh, Dingley Wren had to pull out with a uh, – a major injury caused by a bicycling accident. Uh, Magnus had a free day when he was supposed to be playing Dingley Wren. So he decided to host the TV coverage. And he just talked about uh, everything, absolutely frankly. And uh, one of the things he mentioned was that he was always a bit suspicious about uh, uh, games between uh, Mamadi Arav and Karyakin because they were good mates. And uh, he believed that quite a few of their games had been uh, prearranged, perhaps even the one in this tournament. Mamadi Arov was interviewed about that at the end of his game and said, well, this, the game in Norway chess was straight up and down, but, um, yeah, I have, I have prearranged draws and, uh, yeah, it's uh, not something I, I'm especially proud of, but it happens at top-level chess and uh, I, I've done it myself. And that caused a big stir because, uh, it, well, it, in the same way that, say, the prearranged draw between France and Denmark in the World Cup uh, caused the spectators to start booing uh, early on in the game and keep going throughout the game. Uh, the, in chess, you are ripping off the spectators. Whether you uh, throw a game or prearrange a draw, you're not playing a real game. And uh, there are a lot of people watching online that are being ripped off. And uh, so even though in a sporting sense, throwing a game is, is far worse than prearranging a draw, in an ethical sense, there's not that much between them. And certainly there are people suffering as a result of you prearranging a draw. And where Magnus stirred the pot with that conversation, there was another kind of pot stirring going on. Mm. And it's, uh, it, it's shown right on our cover. One of my favorite covers of recent times has... Uh, Fabiana Caruana as the winner of Norway chess, uh, looking more like Gordon Ramsay than Bobby Fischer. Um, this was for something that happened on a rest day. D- tell our listeners about this. Yes, well, Fabiana's language was certainly a bit better than Gordon Ramsay's, though, so that was good. <laughs> um, yeah, on the free day, the Norway chess organisers have, have uh, always found a, a wonderful uh, PR stunt to put on. Last year, it was. Um, getting the players to perform basic farming tasks like uh, milking a cow. And, uh, and uh, this time it was cooking. And certainly I know from experience, having watched an, uh, Vichy Anand chop up a tomato as a young man, that uh, there wasn't a lot of uh, skill 
um, before it started, but apparently the uh, the players got quite a bit of advice from um, the the chefs watching on, and more to the point, were told to go back to the drawing board when they'd stuffed up one of their sauces and make it again, or uh, chop up things in a different way, and so on. Um, and and what was really remarkable about the winning team of Anand and uh, Dingley Wren was that Ding had had his bicycle accident that morning, had I think broken a hip and uh, still turned up, chopped up all the vegetables. He couldn't get out of his seat at that point. And, uh, and he was on the winning team with an ant who then made the, uh, the sauce and cooked the fish. And, uh, yeah, it was uh, quite, quite amazing. But uh, in a way, I think um, it's one of these competitions where the photos are the, the best thing. And uh, the, I must admit, the hotel was pretty complimentary about some of the dishes, but... Uh, I, I really wonder if they could recreate it without lots of uh, advice. Doing this from his seat reminds me a bit about uh, from I think it was Tony Miles who who had the back issues and was playing a whole tournament while laying on a backboard back in the eighties. Indeed, yes, and uh, had a lot of opponents who didn't really want to play him, but uh, most of them did. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it was. Uh, I mean, it was just unnecessary for Dig. He, he, I think, he felt an obligation to go through with it, but. He was in extreme pain, and uh, even before the prizes were awarded, he'd been taken off to hospital and, uh, yeah, told that uh, he wasn't going to be playing the tournament anymore. And to that point about uh, contractual obligation, uh, there, there was a little bit of a hiccup with Fabiano's contract for participating in this uh, event where he was trying to take um, or leverage his new status as a world championship contender. Indeed. Uh, and I believe uh, that's actually happened quite often with, not with Fabiano, but with players to Vikings say their rating goes up and they, or they achieve something big and they want uh, to renegotiate their contract. And uh, the uh, the Vikings say organizer, Jurin Vandenberg, who was at uh, Norway Chess, said he has the killer line uh, saying, well, if you'd gone down 50 rating points, I wasn't going to cut your appearance fee, so why should I increase it uh, now that you've uh, achieved something, something big? Uh, and uh, that usually works. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, after the candidates and uh, also I think uh, the US Championship was just before as well. Uh, yeah, I, I suspect Fabiano probably thought he was sort of win-win. If you got more money, that's okay. If you got a break, that would also be good. But in retrospect, of course, it's it's great that they talked him around. He, he played and uh, had a really magnificent success. And it was impossible to follow this event without kind of viewing it as a preview of the November World Championship match. And you wrote, uh, for the second time since qualifying to challenge for the world title in March, Caruana finished ahead of world champion Magnus Carlsen at a major tournament. How do you see this playing out? Is Does does this get in Magnus's head at all, or is are match conditions just too different from a tournament condition for it to really bother him? Well, I don't think this will unduly disturb uh, Magnus Carlsen simply because he did beat Caruana in their individual game in the first round. So uh, everyone's got something to brag about. Uh, but uh, the fact that... Uh, Fabiano is simply playing well this year, ever, well, ever since his bad result in Baikonze. He, he really has played well. Even his second place in the US Championship was pretty impressive. So um, I suspect the Sinkerfield Cup coming up will uh, be another of these where the players are going to be desperate to, to show that they're the one who uh, the other should be worried about. Uh, you know, Magnus Carlsen took the wild card uh, in the Sinkerfield Cup, and I was a little bit surprised. I thought maybe uh, those two wouldn't really want to meet up before um, playing the match. But uh, 
it's it's happening. So uh, that that should be very very interesting. I must admit. Yeah, no, that that certainly took a already high level event and uh, gave it worldwide interest even more than it already had. So indeed, well, that's the player you want in your field. If you're leaving a wild card, you really want Magnus to come along, and. Uh, he did. Listeners, the Singfeld Cup begins later this month on August 16th. So look for coverage of that on uschess.org on a daily basis. Ian, we, we have a, a, a new feature. Uh, we just started it last month. Uh, it's our best question contest where our listeners can write into letters at uschess.org. And if their question is selected as the best question, they win a $50 gift certificate to uscfsales.com. And you get to answer this month's question, Ian. Uh, it, it comes from, and boy, once again, I'm having trouble with uh, pronunciation of a name. I hope I'm getting it right. It's Andrew Tishner from Washington, D.C. And he asks, if you could go back in time to one event in chess history and witness it live, what would it be and why? Uh, yeah, I had a long think about that. And in the end, I settled for an event I would have loved to go to uh, as a kid, and that was the uh, the last stages of the match in Baguio City between uh, Anatoly Karpov and uh, Viktor Korshnoi. <clears throat> I must admit, if I'd uh, that, that match was decided 6-5, the final game going to uh, Karpov after Korshnoi had mounted an incredible comeback, and it was uh, <clears throat> an amazing match in terms of animosity between the two players. The uh, the Russian government. Uh, you know, um, for example, um, imprisoning Korshnoi's son for a while just to destabilise him and uh, parapsychologists in the front row to upset him and move backwards and medit- uh, um, uh, what are they, Ananda Marga members helping Korshnoi, <coughs> a sort of alleged spy in Korshnoi's camp, all sorts of things going on. But, of course, knowing what I know now, I was, I was disappointed at the time that Korshnoi lost, but uh, now... <clears throat> watching that game, would I'd have mixed feelings because, um, as Korshnoi discovered after the match, uh, well, long after the match when he w- uh, bought his KGB file, that uh, he wasn't going to be allowed to leave the Philippines alive had he won the last game. So watching a real life and death game would be something amazing. Yeah, so I, I actually had, had missed that last story. I, I, uh, do, you, do you know offhand if that's written up in a, in a book somewhere? Well, I mean, Korshnoi told it to me soon after he bought the file. Oh. He said, uh, yeah, that yeah, he bought it for 400 bucks. It wasn't very expensive when the Soviet Union was falling apart. And uh, he was absolutely stunned. And he didn't know what to think because uh, he, uh, he desperately wanted to win the world championship, but now he wonders if he dodged a bullet. And he said he, uh, he asked Mikhail Tal, who was one of Karpov's seconds, um, if if he thought it was it was possible, and and Tal said, yeah, it's it's actually plausible, unfortunately. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it it may well be true. I mean, there's there's some stories in the chess world that uh, you wonder if people are spinning a line. You know, um, Vlastimil Hort's conversation with Fisher, where Fisher told him that he deliberately played Bishop takes H two to give Spassky a head start in their match. But uh, I mean, I'm sure he did tell that to Hort, but. It's probably not very believable. But uh, this one, Korshner was absolutely shocked when, I mean, still shocked when he was talking to me. So I I, th- I suspect, uh, well, it was in the file and uh, whether they would have gone through with it, 
In that, in those days, quite possibly, yes. Well, now that I know that there was assassination on the table, uh, this this question sounds sounds very trite. But wasn't this match also the the yogurt match where uh, Korchnoi accused Karpov of getting messages by what yogurt he was being delivered? It was, it was actually, uh, yeah, his seconds. Basically, the Russians had been making so many protests, uh, the Soviets rather, about um, the flag that Korshner could play under and all sorts of other trivialities. I think even Karpov had stopped shaking hands with him, so they decided to put their own protest in and they decided to make it unbelievably trivial. Um, unfortunately, it's also the thing people remember the match for, but it was more or less a joke protest saying, um, yeah, you could be getting different flavours and they could be different moves. And so it was solved by just him being required to have a particular flavour at a particular time. Uh, but uh, I don't think it was even meant to be taken seriously, but it was because it was an extremely tense match. Well, Ian, thank you very much. Once again, it was a pleasure talking to you. Uh, wh where do your chess travels take you next? Um, well, uh, I'll see the end of the Beale Festival, uh, which Carlson is competing in, uh, and then I'll uh, watch the uh, Abu Dhabi Open, which is a very strong Open, um, and after that, the Olympiad, and then if the World Championship's in London in November, then I'll be there. Well, again, thank you for joining us, Ian. As always, it was most interesting, and I'm sure our listeners are going to enjoy listening to this. Take care. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. And now it's time for our monthly segment, Checking In with Jen, where we talk to our senior digital editor, Jennifer Shahadi, about everything happening on our website and social media this month. Welcome back, Jen. Thank you, Dan. Um, and I'd, I'd like to say that it's the summer of chess, but it really seems like every summer is the summer of chess because this is when all the kids um, really take the summer vacation and hyper-focus in on chess. And it's awesome because we see it throughout um, all of our events, really. Absolutely. And, and, and because of that, for all of our U.S. chess employees, it's just our absolute busiest time of year. As we head to the U.S. Open, which is, uh, you know, the premier open that we'll be covering on the website. Uh, so tell us a little bit about what we have planned for the U.S. Open on the website. Well, actually, you and I are both going to be there. So that's awesome because we're going to both be tweeting at our official account, U.S. Chess, using the hashtag U.S. Open Chess. Um, we also have Al Lawrence, who's going to be contributing a few articles as well. Um, he's going to be there at the very beginning of that quartet of phenomenal tournaments. I mean, really, that's to me like almost becoming a highlight of the Open is the premier events at the beginning, the National Girls Tournament of Champions, the Denker, the Barber, and now the Seniors Tournament to really round it out. Yes. And so listeners, if you're at the U.S. Open, you know, please take time to to say hello to, to Jennifer or myself and introduce yourself. Uh, we, we'd love to meet you and hear any ideas you have about the podcast, website, print publications, any, anything that you find of interest of U.S. Chess. We want to hear about this. So please do uh, let us know if you see us on site in Madison. Yeah, and there will be some certainly some pretty easy ways to track us down as we'll obviously both be at the website meeting and I'll certainly be at the women's committee meeting. So if you don't uh, if you don't see us wandering around, then you know you go to those meetings uh, and especially the publications meeting where we'll be discussing a lot about the future of our communications. 
Right. And we also have our, the delegates meeting will be on Saturday and Sunday, and I'll be making a presentation about all our communications uh, events uh, to the delegates during the Saturday portion of the meeting. Uh, you can also hear our executive director, Carol Mayer, making a presentation and our president, Mike Hoffpower, and vice president of finance, Chuck Unruh. So a, a lot will be happening if you're interested in U.S. chess uh, happenings. Oh, and so much great chess. I mean, I'm here actually right now at the U.S. Chess School in St. Louis, and I know that many of the girls in our camp are actually headed straight to Madison after this. And God, they are so talented. It's really the, just mind-blowing. I wrote on my Twitter page that it's evidence of the Flynn effect because it does seem that kids are just getting smarter and smarter despite the naysayers who say that social media is making them dumber. I, I got to say, I just kind of noticed the exact opposite. Um, I was working with this eight-year-old, Rachel Lee, who's um, only a few points away from 2000. It's totally incredible. So the events that you mentioned they're heading to, we, we don't just have the U.S. Open going on in Madison. There are three of our premier scholastic events. Uh, talk a little bit about those. Well, there's the Barber, which is the K-8 Tournament of Champions, the National Girls Tournament of Champions, and there is the Denker, um, which is a high school champions event. And uh, yeah, it's exciting because a lot of the girls in this camp are actually going to the mixed division tournaments like Carissa Yip, who just won the U.S. Junior Girls Championship. She'll be playing in the Denker, as is her very good friend, Emily Nguyen. And uh, Natasia Matus is playing in the K-8 Barber. So we could have three female champions, Dan. <laughs> Yeah, no, that would that would be fantastic, and uh, you know it would pick up on what happened in May at the National Elementary Championship when we had was it our very first? Yeah, Rihanna Key was she the first female to to win the K six or just the first in a long time? No, she was the first. Rihanna Key. Um, you know, there was obviously Maggie Feng who won the uh, the junior uh, the high the junior high, mm -hmm. but Rihanna was the first one to win the elementary. So yeah, it's it's obviously as a, as a feminist and somebody really wants to see these numbers of women increase in the federation and just in general um, in the chess world, it's, it's really exciting to see. Uh, but, you know, it's also like uh, great to see uh, a Wander Leong. Uh, as much as I am also very excited about all the girls who won in uh, St. Louis, Wander is really one of my very favorite players. And he's actually from Madison, Wisconsin. So he's going to be there um, playing in the U.S. Open and also giving a simul to kick off those quartet of events. He is now the two-time U.S. junior champion um, twice in a row. So he won't actually need the spot that's up for grabs at the U.S. Open, but he's going to play anyway and certainly going to be one of the favorites. I mean, that kid is just one of the biggest talents ever in American chess. And yet he's literally like always smiling and joking. It's such a joy to see. And I, I should mention that the the simul that, that you mentioned will be happening this Saturday as we're recording this at the 28th. So by the time this podcast dropped, the simul will already have been in the past, but I'm sure we'll have had some reporting about it on the website because we, we have a photographer there that will be taking some great pictures. Yes. And a wander is like a really easy subject, like I said, because he's got such a, a great smile and pretty expressive as well. And as I under understand it, all the simul participants will be made up from the Denker, Barber, and NGTOC participants. That's right. A, a seven from each and then a couple wild cards, a few wild cards thrown in by the organizers as well. I think the mayor of Madison um, has been invited. I don't know if he's accepted or not, but he indicates that he's interested in chess. All right. Awesome. Although with those kids playing in the tournament, I'm voting the mayor as being the first one out. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
maybe he should just make the ceremonial first move on on board one. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, it's really exciting. It's very fun. Uh, it seems like there's a lot of like fun and exciting things going on in U.S. chess right now. Um, we, we've had a, a lot of articles going up recently about the new champions that we have from the Christian Carilla and the National Open to Ilya Nizhnik in the World Open. So I, I invite you guys to, to go read those as you get inspired for the rest of the summer. And yeah, look out for our social media on Instagram and Twitter, US Open Chats, and our reportage on the uh, news section of the website. Well, Jen, as always, it's a pleasure talking to you, and it's always exciting things happening. And uh, so uh, we please remember that hashtag, and we will see you next month. See you in Madison. Thank you for joining us on this August edition of Cover Stories with Chess Life. Make sure and join us next month for our September edition, when we'll be joined by Grandmaster Elshin Maradi Abadi, who is going to be writing about Grandmaster Christian Trilla's victory at the National Open in Las Vegas. Remember to send us those letters for the best question contest to letters at uschess.org. We'll see you next month.